From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode. Or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Ipswich Election Watch 2020 with Alan Roebuck. This podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Episode 6 and the final in the series of Ipswich Election Watch. It's impossible to ignore the COVID-19 crisis right now. I support the hashtag stay at home message wherever possible and my thoughts are with those who've lost their job or been stood down. In the midst of all of this, the election is going ahead with roughly half the state's population eligible to vote having already done so. It would have been a major disappointment for all candidates if it was delayed and it would be fair to say a backward step for residents if Ipswich remained in limbo under an administrator. From my personal experience, the new CEO David Farmer is clearly overwhelmed by email complaints about council operations because he's not seen fit to acknowledge or even respond to issues in two emails I've sent him, one in November and the other in January. It doesn't bode well for residents if the city remained under administration for a further extended period. Elected representatives need to return to refocus those currently in charge and answerable to no one. Coming up, my guest today is Lisa Gerald, former manager of Ipswich City Square, when it was privately owned by the Singapore-based Mimo Corporation prior to its sale to council. But first... This is the sound of Reed's department store being destroyed by fire in the early hours of August 17, 1985. Seven appliances attended Bell Street, with up to 26 fire personnel who fought a gallant effort to try and save the historic site. However, given the age and extensive use of timber throughout, it was a lost cause. Firefighters did save adjoining properties, but not Reeds itself. The fire was partly fuelled by an estimated 20 to 30 tonnes of paint in the old hardware section. By dawn, it was a scene of utter devastation along one side of Bell Street from Brisbane Street to almost the rail line. Building debris made up mainly of bricks and glass fell across the entire width of Bell Street. Heavy machinery was brought in to clear the street once it was deemed safe. The fire destroyed the heart of Ipswich CBD, or at the very least, left it mortally wounded. Eyewitnesses in buildings opposite described what they saw in the early hours. Well, my wife woke me up about one o'clock and uh a little before, and uh, I opened the window and looked out, and she was just starting to come out of two windows, that's the top here. And uh, so we picked up the kids, and, and a couple of people were stopping in the hotel, and we come downstairs here just as the fire brigade arrived, and uh, that's the, uh, that's about all we saw. By one o'clock, we watched the cricket there for a little while, and at uh, one o'clock, I heard uh, glass cracking and I sort of once again I thought there's that glass again and I looked towards the window and I could see flames and I thought it was the hotel going up and all I could think was to get Bun out of bed because here he was on crutches so I sort of said Bun get out of bed I said there's a fire and I sort of went and grabbed the, the baby which was in the building and uh, I guess I'm still shaky from what's happened through the night. 
The clean-up continued well into the day, removing building rubble and broken glass from the street. The peak of the fire on the Brisbane Street corner was marked by the post office clock, which stopped at roughly 2.43am, with the north-facing clock face melted by the extreme heat. Reed's in a former life was Crib and Foot, an Ipswich institution which began trading as a partnership in 1854, after Benjamin Cribb started his London store in 1849. It was part of Ipswich's history for 128 years. Reed's acquired Crib and Foot in 1972, but didn't rename the store to Reed's until 1977. Following the 1985 fire, a revitalised CBD would include the creation of a new mall in Nicholas Street and the building of a shiny new shopping centre by Kern Corporation, infamous at the time for knocking down historic precincts across Queensland. The first stage opening in 1987 of the misnamed Ipswich City Square was greeted with great fanfare. Another Queensland retailing icon, McDonnell and East, was the major tenant, but sadly closed only six years later. 1987 Queensland Cabinet Papers revealed the state government facilitated negotiations and entered into a cost-sharing arrangement to see that the mall was constructed. Lisa Jarrold has an association with Ipswich CBD spanning more than 30 years through various roles including Centre Manager of Ipswich City Square and as a board member of Ipswich Events Corporation. Lisa remembers the fire in 1985 when part of the management team of Ipswich Centre Plaza and has kindly agreed to help piece together the history of the heart of the city since 1985. Thanks for taking the time with uh, Ipswich Election Watch, Lisa. Thank you, Alan. It's good to join you tonight. What are your memories of that fateful night and the fire? I remember a feeling of absolute disbelief because some of my clearest childhood memories we were shopping in Crib and Foot and later Reeves, and it almost felt like the heart had been taken out of the city centre and everyone seemed to be in mourning for the history that had been lost overnight. Yes, it was undoubtedly just part of the fabric of the city. Mm, absolutely. Can you describe what life was like for retailers and shoppers before Nicholas Street changed to a mall in that sort of intervening period between fire yeah. and construction? Um, after the fire, um, the Reeds set up temporarily in the old post office building in Brisbane Street across the road from the site of the original store. Um, the vastly reduced size store had limited stock, so it heavily impacted on the availability of everyday items for, for Ipswich people. So the CBD did become very quiet. And train rides to Indrapilly to go to the shopping town became a part of everyday life, especially when their eight-screen cinemas opened in, I think it was 1987. So over the two years following the fire, the old Cribben Foot site became amalgamated and, and then Kern commenced the construction of the new centre. So we had a combination of uh, shopping habits changing, people mm -hmm. enjoying the train trip to Indrapilly, yeah. Uh, it, it, and a big gap where there was nothing really there. Uh, yeah, right. So along came Kern Corporation. Is it true that Kern was kind of welcome to the city as almost a, a white knight to save the CBD? Mm, absolutely. I remember visiting the centre on the very first day it opened and all the shoppers looked like they had got out their Sunday best clothes to go shopping. 
And I don't think I'd seen so many high heels in the CBD ever before. It was amazing. <laughs> the floors were terrazzo and shiny and white and there was direct access of the new mall and the tavern downstairs and, of course, McDonald and East, which was, you know, the new department store. How long did that euphoria last? Uh, well, unfortunately, the shoppers, I think, had got used to the huge variety and entertainment available at Indrapilly. And even though the current development was something new, and it was really a poor substitute to the offering, that they'd got used to at Indrapilly. Mm. So there was almost, I'd say, for me at least, a disappointment that we had lost so much of the historical character of the CBD as well. What was the overall mood in the city? Uh, can you describe sort of before, during and after the official opening? The city was quite depressed after the fire. And the Ipswich shoppers had to make do with limited options or else go into Indrapilly. Construction, of course, also created disruption, putting strain on all the businesses in the city centre, as construction does. Um, Ipswich CBD had once been the home to several department stores. I'm not sure if you remember, but it wasn't just Crib and Foot. There'd been Bayards and Bernie's and later Walton's. Now, so they were they were in Nicola Street, weren't they? Yes, yes. Yes. Mm. yes. So, obviously, having been a city centre that had a lot of choice, um, shoppers just had to go elsewhere to meet the needs, their needs. So, alternative shopping habits had been formed in that period after the fire. And hard to break those habits. Mm-hmm. That's right, because it was for, for a number of years that they were having to go elsewhere. At what point, Lisa, did you get involved in Ipswich City Square and what were you asked to do? Um, I had involvement from the time the receivers were appointed to the property um, after the Kern collapse. But um, the property was soon sold to Memo Corporation and the company I worked for at the time continued with the management of the pro- of the property. Can you roughly give me a timeline from Kern to receivership to Mimo Corporation? Um, Kern went into receivership in September 1991 um, and the property wasn't on the market for that long before Mimo Corporation purchased the property. I, I can't remember an exact date, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't on the market for long. That's a good thing that it wasn't in receivership for a, a long period of time. What was the mix of retailers in the 90s and can you recall any success and failures? Yeah, the centre struggled for many years. The McDonald and East store unfortunately failed um, by 1993, leaving a vast gap in the retail offering for Ipswich residents. So that space um, was carved up at ground level because if you recall it was a two-level building So it was carved up at ground level and eventually the upper level was converted into cinemas with a food court area. And the cinemas seemed to be well received, but the food court space was never tenanted beyond a fun parlour and coffee shop, unfortunately. There were, in the beginning, some national chains like Jeans West and Q. And for for a time, they they had some good success, but it, it couldn't be sustained, unfortunately. Lisa, at what point do you think Ipswich City Square became unviable, if that's a fair enough description? Because Mimo had invested significantly in hospitality, the popular bar and nightclub I think you mentioned there, in the centre of the mall. It was it was quite a, quite a flash fit out, uh, and then almost without warning it, it shut down. Look, in my opinion, and it is my opinion, um, 
It's Switch City Square never really established itself as a successful retail centre. It was always going to be an, a poor alternative to Indrapilly and it failed to attract a good chunk of key national chains which were needed to give the property credibility and also to give other national traders confidence to commit to the property. So you did have traders like Justine, Jeans West and Q, but, you know, there were some, but... It needed more. Once... Once McDonald and East went, it, it just sort of mm. couldn't be sustained, unfortunately. We've heard stories about the family behind Mimo Corporation, long established and a couple of generations uh, running the firm. How would you describe them? Well, my dealings were mostly with Mr Tay, who was the owner of Mimo Corporation, and he was a well-respected, self-made, successful Singaporean businessman, and he owned department stores in Singapore. He absolutely loved Australia and was very proud of his investments here. He was a very humble and interesting man and I very much enjoyed my discussions with him. Um, It was also interesting to work for a company based in another country and from a different cultural background. And what were your highs and lows in that period? One aspect that we focused on for developing the city centre was lifestyle and there are a lot of pluses to living in Ipswich City and I, I suppose one of my highs was to be able to bring the Birch Carroll and Coral Cinema development into the CBD because at that time um, it certainly was a highlight because this it contributed to the improvement in the amenity for the city centre and provided a solid anchor for that part of the complex. It certainly did. It wasn't Mm. Yeah, it was incredibly frustrating to have ideas and visions for the property, but we were never able to bring a lot of them to fruition. If you had your time over again, you know, we often reflect on on our lives, what we'd do differently. Uh, What would you have done differently or was the tide of change inevitable? I think the tide of change was inevitable. I don't think there was really much I could have done differently there. For roughly 20 years, you also volunteered as a board member for Ipswich Events Corporation. Does that mean you were there from start to finish? Almost from the beginning. I enjoyed every minute of my involvement with the Ipswich Events Corporation, being the deputy chair for most of my time on the board, alongside Chairman Paul Kasoff, who was extremely dedicated and passionate about supporting Ipswich business and the Ipswich community at large. The board were a very committed group of individuals, who wanted the best for the city of Ipswich and they sacrificed their own time and efforts to help bring both business and community benefits to the CBD. I particularly love working with the Top of Town traders as they were a group of fabulous traders and I think the Top of Town is an absolute treasure to the city of Ipswich. It's well known Ipswich events relied heavily on council funding but it was also able to attract significant private sponsorship. How would you describe the contribution Ipswich events has made to the uh, social fabric of the city? When I look back at the professional level of events and activities that Ipswich Events Corp put on for the Ipswich community, I am extremely proud of what we were able to achieve. Particularly the dedication of the staff was amazing. So events such as the um, gal opening, the annual Christmas carols and parades, the festival fireworks, the festival parade, Top of Town Street party, honk, Etc. Etc. There's so many highlights and exceptional people like Terry Hadnut, Luana Moxham, Patrick Burns, Joanna Hadnut. All of them were fabulous people with great ideas 
you know, a great, great team to work with. And the, the key, I think, was engaging the community and getting strong community involvement in everything we did. And because, you know, there's such a lot, lot of love for the city and lots of amazing people that want to contribute. And by giving them a platform to bring their ideas together, their ideas and their spirit together, you know, has resulted in a lot of things being built and, and built upon year by year. And I think after 20 years, I think we can really say honestly that, that we did achieve a lot. I'm, I'm proud of my involvement in Events Corp and what we can put, could bring to the city of Ipswich. Lisa Gerald, really appreciate your time and that little time capsule from 1985 almost to the present day. I appreciate your time very much and all the best. Thank you very much, Alan. Ipswich Election Watch. Music on this podcast is courtesy of Purple Planet Music. Eyewitness accounts from TV news bulletins of the day. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is Alan Roebuck. Thanks for listening to the final podcast in this series. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.